Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a subject that we seem to be talking about more frequently, and the subject is war. And if you've seen our video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, and if you haven't, we urge you to to view it. It's available at our website, whtt.org. But it starts off with the comment that the U.S. has a war-based economy. And today we're going to be talking about Russia in Crimea and the ramifications of us being there. And so we'd like to review a piece that Chuck has just written about this entitled The Meaning of Russia in Crimea and Beyond. And this was written on March 4th, 2014. The Ukrainian revolt has apparently been long planned by the U.S. And Russia's landing in friendly Crimea is Putin's clever and natural first but not his last response. Russia's other foot will come down in the Ukraine wherever and whenever there is a serious revolt, because it has no choice. Otherwise, the U.S., and probably Israel, orchestrated revolutionaries will soon grab all those natural gas and crude oil pipelines that run everywhere in the Ukraine all the way across it to Europe. Russia has to protect its resources from sabotage and expropriation, else it will lose its market for its largest resources upon which it depends. We have been thrown another curve by our war-making government. What has happened in Kiev makes it hard to make a case for Israel being very important. And we now see why Obama backed down on making war in Syria. He was aiming for something bigger. Even Iran is on the back burner. This sounds too big, but we must remember, the business of the USA is war. Yes, it is. And I need to warn the readers in advance that this is a very fast response to something that's happening very fast. So there are things in it that we're not sure of at all. But some of these observations we've made for a long time, and we start out with the basic conclusion that uh, we can't be too cynical about our government's ability to get us into war. We live in a war-based economy, and our leaders are influenced by those who do want war. So war is an end in itself rather than a means to solve some problem. Often war is a way of uh, actually spending money and keeping the economy rolling. The curious thing about this in watching the most obvious place you can look, being the stock market and the, and the bond market, the biggest and wealthiest investors in the world did not really know how to respond to this. Yesterday, literally billions, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of government bonds traded, and they went straight up almost off the chart. It was the idea that the world was not a safe place anymore, and the only thing safe was government bonds. 
And then today, the same government bonds went down as much as they went up yesterday. Literally hundreds of billions of dollars traded in United States government bonds. And the, the action was absolutely the opposite of yesterday. And with no real significant news of any kind coming out today, all based upon the fear that uh, President Putin of Russia was going to march in and uh, start bombing uh, the Ukraine. And so in a matter of a little bit of history, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. And I believe it was in 1954 that it was uh, made, for some reason, made independent. Does that uh, sound right, Tom, 1954? Yes, and, right, uh, it was, yeah. And then subsequently, it continued to act like part of the Russian Confederation. And uh, so Russia built these pipelines across Ukraine and uh, provided all this natural gas. When they developed these big gas fields in Russia, they then provided the natural gas to the Ukraine. And then on through the Ukraine, uh, there are at least six or eight pipelines. They go on through the Ukraine and on into Europe, Poland, Hungary, and, and all the way to Germany. So the business of the Ukraine of transporting this natural gas to the ultimate customers is a big part of Russia's revenues because their number one source of foreign exchange revenue is the sale of natural gas and petroleum to the European countries. Yeah, I'm looking at a map of the pipelines in there. Here's, there's nine points of entry of these pipelines into Ukraine from Russia. And this country is so big, Ukraine, I don't know how many thousand miles it is across Ukraine. I don't know how much bigger it is than the entire United States. Do you know? Tom? No, I don't think it's, it's only about a thousand miles long. I, I don't think it's quite as, it, quite it's as long. good size, but it's, it's it, bigger than uh, a lot of European countries like yes, perhaps France. Yes, but in any is. case, those are expensive structures that have been built there to transport gas. It's not cheap to put a thousand miles pipeline across uh, the Ukraine into, say, Hungary. So Israel, so naturally, um, uh, Russia has an extremely big interest in this, and the last thing they want to see is revolutionaries uh, b burning, bombing, and blowing up things in in the Ukraine. Well, it's interesting, a little backup to anybody that's paid any attention, that, of course, we've been on a course to demonize Russia and Putin the fact that President Obama snubbed Putin by not coming to the Winter Olympics in Sochi. I saw a couple of documentaries, actually one was made a number of years ago, but it was basically a bashing of Putin and going back to his KGB days. And On the other hand, I saw another video was made by a Russian and it appeared much more even-handed because it talked about the oligarchs and their, their effect and the fact that Putin, when he did come into power, actually a number of these oligarchs left the country. And one of them in this documentary was actually being tried for what, what he did. They had many of the state industries that were sold at rock-bottom prices. And so there were people that these oligarchs that, did quite well, but there's been a decided campaign to demonize Putin and and uh, Russia, and so 
it kind of goes with George Orwell's 1984 that we've got to have an enemy. And so in the case of 1984, there were three powers. You had Oceania, Eurasia, and I forget the other third one, but they were always at war. So two of them were allies against the other, and then they would rotate, much like we do today, actually. And it is kind of scary to think that what we're doing, and we'll go on here in the in the letter, that we have some culpability in this matter. Right. The next part of the letter actually deals with the possibility that the state of Israel is acting as the U.S. government's pit bull. And one reason we think this is very likely is that a huge part of the population of Israel, if you go there, you find a lot of businessmen who are from Russia. And uh, Russia has been exporting Jews to Palestine ever since uh, Palestine was, well, I don't know when it started, but uh, certainly uh, uh, since communism fell apart in uh, 1990, was it? Anyway, uh, yes. there are uh, there are a huge number of Jewish Israelis who are ethnic Russians. And since Israel does export terrorism as sort of a product along with armaments, uh, and since uh, we have this unique arrangement with Israel, we think it's pretty likely that the Israeli secret services, of which they have several, like such as Shinbat, are, are probably involved in the terrorism that's going on there. And, and immediately, uh, even the first day that we look at this, we, we see evidence of that. So, Tom, why don't you go ahead and read on? Well, I would, I would guess it would probably be the Mossad. Shinbat is the internal, which would be kind of equivalent to our FBI, and the Mossad is, is the external or outside the country, at least as I understand it. And I think okay, so yeah, and, they, and they've carried on uh, external activities and assassinations all kinds of places. Yes. Continuing on with Chuck's report here. We need to find and establish the link between Ukraine, Israel, and Georgia. It is there to be uncovered. Otherwise, our arguments to throttle Israel to help the Palestinians or Philistines will suddenly become irrelevant on the world stage. Obama is already telling Netanyahu to make a peace pretense with the phony leader of the captive Philistines. We also are committed to the Philistines. These are the Palestinians, parenthetically here, who will soon seem to be flogging a dead horse as the action in Ukraine intensifies. Obama's war makers are planning to force the escalation in Ukraine, and likely Israel has a role as the preeminent exporter of terrorism in the world. A big, long-term, expensive, push-button war is probably Obama's objective instead of a little skirmish in Syria. Iran does not hold a candle to the war-making value that can be wrung out of the Ukraine crisis. One such evidence of a long-planned ongoing plot against Russia is that Obama and all his gang of world travelers and happy vacationers, including John Kerry and Hillary Clinton, boycotted the Olympics instead of sitting in Putin's private box. 
Now, the soul from the U.S. diplomatic corps went to Putin's grand party. They were all home arranging the coup, very unsportsmanlike. Putin threw down the gauntlet when he allowed Snowden protection. Putin cannot back down. Obama will not because he has orders. I've heard that Israelis were involved in the coup that got President Viktor Yankovic out of the way. The new guy will probably turn out to be the USA proxy. This makes perfect sense, meaning the U.S. is behind the scheme. Well, here we're making some pretty heavy assumptions, and we're also stating unequivocally that we are, of course, for the Palestinians. I heard a pastor recently express it, who had just come back from Israel, express it this way. Uh, he said to the congregation, we don't want anybody to misunderstand. We're not being even-handed here. We're not for both sides equally. We have a favorite. We have somebody who we think is right and somebody who we think is wrong, and we're on the side of the people who we think are right, period. So that's kind of the way we feel and have always felt. If, if you haven't thought of it that way, you might. And we don't apologize for saying that we are out to expose Israel's role as the aggressor who has been pressing and occupying and murdering, uh, in many cases, and lots and lots of cases, imprisoning all these three and a half million Palestinians. We also think that since the U.S. works so closely with Israel all over the Middle East, and since so many Israelis are basically Jewish Russians who've immigrated, that it's very handy for them to be able to have fluent Russian people who can show up with some money and a plan, and uh, before they know it, they're feeding the revolutionaries, and before they know it, they have an active following. This was is an age-old method of revolution, is taking enough money to feed the people and have a plan, and of course, be able to speak their language so they trust you. So we think it's logical that Israel will be involved in this plan, and we, of course, think there is a plan that is being carried out by uh, Mr. Obama and his uh, colleagues under the orders of uh, bigger people who let them know what they think is good for them. And we believe this will be borne out with time as we watch. Uh, and, uh, and indeed, in the upcoming paragraph, you'll see that there is already some indication that this is going on that we just found that we found in Heretz magazine at first glance. Tom? Yes, and also you might recall that in the Edward Snowden revelations, one of the things came out about the NSA is that raw data was actually being sent to Israel with really no preconditions, basically a handshake type of thing. So they're getting our intelligence dumped on them. So I don't know what that means or what the implications are, but it does kind of show that we're in bed with Israel, just to prove your point, Chuck. Oh, so it was the Israelis who were receiving the the data. Well, if there's any, any of our listeners who don't know that there are many unhealthy aspects of the relationship between the U.S. and Israel, uh, we do believe that, and we think that that's uh, more than easily proved, that it's a, uh, it's, it's a self-evident truth when you look a little bit. And it's amazing how few people do look. Today I read an account of our governor here in Colorado, his name is John Hickenlooper, who signed a bill that was very favorable to Israel. And he went on a junket before that. 
I just happened to bump into an interview, a very detailed interview he'd given about his trip. And it was amazing how completely he was brainwashed in Israel when he went there. He didn't ever mention that there was a wall, that there was an occupation. And when he was asked, uh, did you ever talk to any uh, Arabs? He said, oh, yes, a few, but there seemed to be so little time. We were very, very busy while we were there. So Israel is an expert at brainwashing. All right, now I'll continue on here. Press TV claims that reports published by Haritz and the Times of Israel, these are both Israeli uh, publications, on Friday verify that an Israeli army veteran identified as, quote, Delta, unquote, headed a street fighting unit in Kiev. The unit, called the Blue Helmets of the Maidan, was made up of a force of 40 men and women, including several Israeli army veterans. The reports added that the unit was linked to the ultra-nationalist groups. The report said that Delta, a Ukraine-born former Israeli soldier, used combat skills he acquired in Israel's Shualei Shimshan Reconnaissance Battalion of the Javadi Infantry Brigade to rise through the ranks of Kiev's street fighters. According to Delta, the Blue Helmets comprise 35 men and women who are led by five ex-Israeli soldiers. It is very convenient that many Israelis are formerly Russians and speak the language. I do not know whose criminal Yanukovych is, but he has looted a very large pot. As I said, Russia has no choice but to back Ukraine, else it will not be able to deliver its oil and gas to Europe. Whoever controls central and eastern Ukraine controls the gas and oil flow from Russia to Germany and beyond through a dozen pipelines Russia built. Putin cannot allow the USA and Israel to control Ukraine by guerrilla action. This is a curveball, and it makes a war with Iran unnecessary. Okay, so here's a case that was reported in Haaretz magazine in Israel with pictures of uh, this uh, individual called Delta, who's not named. And it turns out that there's five or six soldiers, and they sound like they're freelancers who just happen to be there in the Ukraine and, and joined the revolution against the uh, corrupt government. And, uh, of course, they are the ones who are then the threat to take over the pipelines and the, and and probably the interim government. So this is basically the enemy of, of the Russians, essentially. And uh, it turns out that right away we find Israelis among them. The implication and suggestion in all this, of course, is that they're all freelance. And there's no real organization, and Russia is really not behind it, and the U.S. is not involved in it. And that's all something that remains to be seen. Uh, hopefully we will get more information about this and we won't have to create any conclusions, but we'll be able to rely on the other people's conclusions. We'll just have to see as time goes on what we learn. As we picture the situation, it seems that Russia has no choice but to uh, make sure that nobody who wants to destroy Russia uh, gets control of these pipelines. So this is uh, why Russia has taken this so seriously, and this is why it becomes a threat of a long-term war that could go on for a very, very long time as a guerrilla action. And 
So, Tom? Just one comment. We certainly have been conditioned, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, hate and fear Russia. And, of course, the old, they're just like the communists were and so forth. And, and it's this mentality of exceptionalism here in the United States that we somehow need to control the world. And you know, we've got the, the military around the world. As I was telling Chuck before we went on here, here we are looking at maybe starting another war, but come this summer, they're going to cut mail delivery uh, on Saturday. So that's kind of ironic. We can't even deliver the mail, but we can we can have wars all over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um, people have been to Russia tell us that big that America's big corporations are there. There's lots of them, including Citibank and uh, and and uh, Caterpillar Tractor Company and uh, Mobile Exxon and and all kinds of big companies too. Auto manufacturers are there making Chevrolets and Fords. So it's a different Russia, of course, than the one that uh, we all struggled against uh, in the endless Cold War that never heated up. But now uh, it is a means, uh, we think, to keep the United States involved in war. And so this is what we're attempting to try to head off. So we have... Uh, a comment from a, a sort of intelligent sounding, quite an intelligent sounding author here who describes this, the limited partnership, meaning we're not really full partners, but we are in, in, a, in a way partners, the U.S. relations in the 20th century and uh, with, of course, with America. She, and she writes this. So her name is Angelina S uh, Stent. Uh, so we'll hear what, uh, we'll take a, just quote a little bit of what she said because it makes a lot of sense to us. And she wrote this in the CNN opinion blog, I guess it is. Quote, the Ukraine parliament voted Yankovic out of power on February 22nd, and he fled to Russia. But in a recent news conference, the former president insisted he was still the boss and that he wants nothing more than to lead his country to peace, harmony, and prosperity. At the 2008 NATO summit in Bucharest, Romania, Vladimir Putin told a surprised George W. Bush, you have to understand, George, that Ukraine is not even a country. Part of its territory is in East Europe, and the greater part was given to us, unquote. After the Soviet collapse, Crimea suddenly became part of an independent Ukraine to Moscow's shock. Moscow and Kiev worked out a deal to divide the Soviet Black Sea fleet between Russia and Ukraine. In 2010, Ukraine extended the Russian lease until 2042, unquote. And Chuck Carlson concludes his article with this if the U.S. versus Russia conflict goes forward, as it looks like it will, this will escalate into another eight to ten trillion dollar war, bigger than the Iran and Afghanistan wars combined. I hope I'm wrong about this, Chuck Carlson. Well, thank you, Chuck, for that insightful article. It, it's we we hope and pray that we aren't going to be set up here for another war. And it does seem that we are trigger happy. It just it's it's 
Well, uh, as we as we said in our video, uh, the tragedy and the turning. War is part of the American system. It has been for a long time. We've been told that these are all necessary and that we're defending and we're doing this and that. But in truth, every war that we go into is on someone else's territory. And the wars have a way of getting bigger. And each one, of course, is accompanied by another boom in the stock market, another boom in the economy of some kind, uh, the boom in the real estate market that ended up in a catastrophe, other giant bubbles that have been built because of the excess money in the economy. And uh, it seems that the object of our banker friends is to generate wars in order to have a, a way of getting more money into the economy, which, uh, of course, comes in through the banks. It starts, it starts out with the banks and the Federal Reserve Bank. And uh, so we consider it to be a way of life. We, do, we don't consider it to be a practical conclusion of how to run a country. We consider that it is uh, something that uh, we are now uh, stuck with as a matter of, of uh, long-standing policy. And it's going to go on until the American people have an absolute revolt over it. We now have the uh, sterilized wars where we have drones and I'm sure that our, our leaders will tell us that we'll be able to have bloodless wars where we don't shed any of our blood. And therefore, people are supposed to accept that it's okay if it isn't my kids that are being killed. The only problem is, as we know from Afghanistan and Pakistan, we're killing hundreds, thousands of other people's kids and making many, many more miserable. And, of course, this, if, this is uh, uh, something that goes on every day in uh, Palestine. So it's our hope and our wish and our prayer that there will be a great turning. We call it the turning in our video. And what that turning has to consist of is people who stand up and say, I don't care if we're not going to kill one American person. So if we're killing people in the Ukraine, Americans have to take the attitude that that's just as wrong as, uh, as killing our own children. And this is, uh, of course, where Christianity is supposed to come in. Christians are supposed to believe this. They're supposed to understand this. And they're supposed to be willing to act upon it. So it's our hope that people who are followers of Christ will take this as a necessity and a, and a demand upon them that in order to be following Christ, that they do their part about stopping these serial wars. And uh, our part in this, of course, is to encourage and to provide a little bit of information so people will have reason to understand what they are talking about when they go to their congressman or even to write to the president, which probably is not the, not the best way. But those people do understand what we think and what we're saying, even in the cases where we don't tell them. They, they pretty well understand. They're pretty smart. So if we stand up against this upcoming effort at war, which we are confident this really is an effort, to create a real war, it probably will not happen. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for all that you do and for these thoughts. And we hope that you found this program interesting and are willing to pass it on. And, you know, join in the fight. We can all do something. We can't do everything, but we all have influence over other people. And so anything you do to help in the effort is commendable and thank you thanks for listening be sure to tell a friend about our podcast 
and please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.